0: Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Father, we give you thanks right now again for the incredible grace of your son, the very Lamb of God that was sent from heaven to make right everything that was wrong to literally come as the solution to any and every problem a human being could ever face. Hallelujah. You came, you saw, you conquered death, you conquered hell, you conquered the grave. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And We thank you that you left us with the precious, incredible, mighty Holy Spirit to quicken our bodies, to quicken our minds, to bring life out of death, to bring light out of darkness, to teach us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to be our intercessor, our standby, and so, so much more. And Father, as an act of our will, we yield ourselves to you afresh for this part of this morning's It's time together, and we do thank you, and we do give you praise, and we do thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that is Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation, healing, deliverance, peace, soundness of mind, everything. So I give you praise for that, Father, and I pray that you would allow our ears to hear what you want to speak to any and each of us as individuals. I pray that each of us would make a quality individual decision to not be distracted, that we might hear the words that you want to speak to us as individual people. You always have something for every one of us. You always do. There's never a time when we intentionally meet with you that you do not bless. Something isn't transacted between heaven and earth. Hallelujah. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. So help me right now, Holy Ghost, as I move forward in this, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. God's good. The last two weeks, I've been endeavoring to share a bit about the fear of the Lord, reverence. I'm going to read... I'm going to change gears a little bit today, but I'm going to read that first verse that I started with each week from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, where we're all familiar with this passage where God said to the prophet Isaiah, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And you know, like I said, for all the years that I've been a believer, that I've been a Christian, and then I've read this, I don't know why it never I may have thought about it this way, but I don't know why it never struck me so deeply. Just simply what it's saying, until I heard Reinhard Bonnke, like I said, say it that other day. You have to prepare. (laughs) Let's see, we know this. We have to prepare the way for God to come to us. Now listen to that. Did you hear me? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight In the desert, a highway for our God. In other words, he's saying, prepare a place for God to actually come in on. We need to make a road, a highway. We are the ones, it's our responsibility to create the environment, to create the culture, to create the honor, to create the platform where he can come and show himself alive. Now, the opposite of that is saying, if we don't prepare a way for him, evidently it's less easy. I don't know, we're not gonna make a hard, fast doctrine on it, but it's evidently not as easy for God to do what he wants to do in our lives. Is that simple enough? A little mathematics, it's just that simple. But it says, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And it says, and then, it says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So I just want to catch that afresh, okay? Our job is to learn how to reverence God as much as we can. And the little things, I'm not going to go over everything I said the last two Sundays, But just to begin to understand, the word reverence means to respect. Basically, just to respect the things of God in our life. And one of the things you have to do to that, you do need to know the word of God, of course. The verse that I woke up with this morning, it's in Psalm 119 somewhere, is that simple verse that we all grew up with, where it says, "You know, Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart. In other words, it's my job. I am to put God's word in me. And by having God's word in me, that I might not sin against thee, I will not find myself falling short of God's will for my life or falling short of the promises. But I have to make preparation. And the question I asked both Sundays was this. Are we actually serious? I said we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Are we actually serious about wanting God? the presence of God. In other words, I don't want us to just be clever and be like every other church in the world. I mean, just yes, we want the presence. Yes, of course, we want the presence. Yes, we want the presence of God. But the fact is, what teach, what the Scripture teaches, especially when you study all the verses about the fear of the Lord, the fear, meaning, reverence, is that you can want all day long, but if you don't prepare the way, you know, he's... He's just simply, he's not going to, can God do anything he wants? Yes, indeed. But still the scripture says we're the ones that create atmospheres. We're the one by the reverend. Because again, like I said, I could take three months to go through all, I mean, all the places in scripture where it talks about the kings and prophets and what have you. Because they feared the Lord, because they feared not the Lord God. You know, they're just, it's just everywhere. And it sounds so simple, again, that we miss it. You know what I mean by that? Okay, yeah, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. We need, to, But I'm telling you. <laughs> and so I talked about little things, little things like, uh, like I said, even at the church, you know, being on time. It shows a disrespect. And we talked about how we should honor the sanctuary of God. This is the one day, one day, one day of the week that we get to come together, together as a family. Yes, you can work with God, worship God be, you know, with God every day of your life, but God's ordained, it's all through the scripture, this sanctuary, you create a sanctuary for me that I might dwell, all this thing, reverence my sanctuary, don't forget my Sabbaths, there's something very special that can only happen when the community of God's people comes together, just that simple, this is why we're supposed to understand that, okay, but like I said, there's all kinds of stuff there that we could talk about, but I spoke a lot about that the last few weeks, and I got to Flip around pages because I've got stuff in 14 different places here. But let me just read, because I want to go to another aspect, just some of the uh, other verses, the classic verses about. Well, actually, let me read this first. You ever heard of Marco Polo? Marco Polo, you know, in history. I'm going to read this. Marco Polo in AD 1271. And this is about, again, respect for the house of God, reverencing the fact that whatever else may be happening when we come here yes it's not the physical building per se but it's the it's the coming together of the saints and what it stands for that we need to give more reverence more respect for we need to understand when we come together this is god's house as it were Anyhow, in A.D. 1271, the famous Venetian traveler Marco Polo joined his father and his uncle for his first trip to China. Together, they would visit the great Kublai Khan, who was king of the Mongol dynasty. Marco Polo's father, Matteo Polo, and his uncle, Niccolo, had already made their first trip to China a few years earlier in 1266. And now, five years later, they considered Marco old enough to join them. Kublai Khan was the great son- grandson of the great Genghis Khan. He, at this time, was one of the world's most powerful monarchs. He ruled all of China, all of India, and in the East. When young, Mar- when young Marco first entered the palace for an audience with the great Khan, he nearly got himself killed. Not understanding Oriental customs or respect, Marco did not know that to turn your back on the king was punishable by death instantly. All of the king's attendants would bow and then walk backward when leaving his court. So when Marco carelessly turned his back on the monarch, soldiers rushed forward to kill him. But only because Matteo, his father, quickly interceded for his son, explaining that, quote, he was young and forgetful, unquote, was Marco pardoned and spared. The young man, Marco Polo, never again made that mistake, and from then on in his travels, Marco made it a point to learn the ways and the language of the people. Marco Polo eventually became Kublai Khan's favorite statesman and served him in China, India, and throughout Southeast Asia until he returned to Venice in 1295. But Marco never forgot that his friend, his friend was also a great king and worthy of due respect. Throughout the world, people demonstrate the greatness of their king or ruler by the way they conduct themselves in his presence. Yet from the way many Christians behave in God's house, it seems they have a very shallow concept of his greatness. Hallelujah. So what do we learn from that? We are the friend of God. Amen? This new covenant, that's the incredible thing that's happened. We are now friends with the Most High God, the Creator of all the heavens and the earth. By the grace of Jesus Christ, we have received the spirit of adoption whereby something so incredible has happened that we can actually commune with Almighty God as if He was our Papa, right? Right? Our Daddy. He's, in other words, the closeness, the intimacy, the difference that it makes by being made one flesh with Almighty God the blood of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest mysteries of all Christianity, but nevertheless the truth. But even though he is our friend, what we're saying here is just like Marco Polo had to learn, you never forget that your friend, in this case, Almighty God, is Almighty God. Amen? You hear what I'm trying to say. No matter whatever else, no matter how much fun we have with him, no matter how much celebration we enjoy in, in our fellowship times and worship. All of that's wonderful. We dance before the Lord. All of that great stuff. We laugh. We have, he wants us. He's, we're, our, we're his children. He wants us to enjoy life. I mean, there's even this verse, I think, somewhere in the Bible where Jesus, where it says that Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly to the full till it overflows. Right? Is that somewhere still in the book? It's in the book. Hallelujah. He came that we might have an abundance of life where it was overflowing with the the incredible joy and grace of God that's come to us. Hallelujah. We're to be that kind of a people. But as as I began in the very first session two weeks ago, like I said, still that doesn't mean we just dishonor who he is by not caring about where he wants to be and what he wants to do. We still need to prepare the way of the Lord. We need to straighten out things in our life that are crooked, you know that the word wicked, the actual word wicked, when you look it up in the Hebrew, the actual word wicked means twisted. It means twisted like rope or yarn. Things get twisted very easily in our lives. And when they get twisted, they take upon themselves a sense of wickedness. Okay? And I'm just saying in my life, in all of our lives, it's just what I'm trying to communicate over these few weeks is let's just really get honest with themselves and say, where can I better show more respect to this person I call Lord? Right? I mean, we say he's Lord, don't we? We say he's our Lord and he's our Savior. Well, of course, we know what Jesus said in one area. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I ask of you? Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, my God, can you imagine that they're going to be tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people that will hear that depart from me. Hallelujah. Not me. <laughs> I said not me and just not you. Amen. Seriously, not you, not you because again, it's not, it, because we made our decision. But in the midst of that what I'm trying to say again is that, you know, everything you read, all these articles I read a while about, it just seems they all say that to a great degree the churches in the world have lost a lot of understanding about the old fashioned fear of God that we need to still have a reverence for the things of almighty God like I said I want to change gears a little bit but I just want to read through several of the verses that we know that are in Proverbs and other things about the fear of the Lord Proverbs 1 7 I'll read them if you can get them up that's fine Proverbs 1 7 is possibly the one that most of us know the best again I read from the Amplified Bible. It says the reverent and the worshipful fear of the Lord is the what? Say it. The reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning, the principle, and the choice part of knowledge, its starting point and its essence. But fools despise skillful and godly wisdom, instruction, and discipline. So categorically it says to reverence the things of God is where you've got to start. Hear me? Church is not a hobby. I said last week, you know, people, I read in this one article that the things of God have been brought down to the common level. Or whatever we do, it's, just, it's common to life right now. You know, we go to church, we go to football games, we go to concerts, we go to work, and everything's kind of on the same level. It's just joined everything else and becoming what they call common. They said that's one of the great problems. But as this writer said, you have to understand, there is nothing common about God. You can't allow yourself to ever get to that place where you think, and this is what I mean. So coming to meet with God as a family, only just when we only have in particular one day a week, it shouldn't be treated as common. I'm just saying, if we really want to progress, if we want to become better than we are, like I said, you know, You've heard this before, but it's very powerful. It's still true. You know, the enemy of great is good. A lot of people settle for things that are good. And if you settle for good, you'll never get to great. And see, God wants every single one of you to experience the greatness that is reserved for every one of your lives. You do realize God's like the old thing. God never made any junk. If you have breath in your lungs, which you do this morning, if you have breath in your lungs, there's a divine purpose that's still awaiting to be birthed in your life. There's a fragrance of heaven that, quite frankly, only you as an individual can cause to be released because every single individual is just that, a, a brand new, singular, insular representative of what God wants of his own character and love to be seen on the earth. You get to show off God within the giftings and the graces that you've been allowed by God. And understand, I don't care how gifted or talented you are in a given area, some of you are gifted in areas that other people notice, whether it's like musicians or, or other, you know, speakers or whatever, people in politics, whatever. Some of you are gifted in areas that everybody notices. But again, never, ever, ever under, never ever forget that you're only a steward of what you've been given. But you are a steward, and so you need to recognize it. The moment you begin to think that is you, you're going down. You hear me? You will never experience greatness. That's just the way it is. You will never experience greatness. Thanks, sweetie. You'll never experience greatness whatsoever as long as you identify with your gifting more than you identify with the person who gave the gift. Okay? Seriously, do you hear me? This is why, again, it's a daily act of consecration. It's this reverence of God. So the reverent and the worshipful fear Lord, it's the beginning. It's the principle and the choice part of knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 1, verse 27 through 33. This is a tough, tough part here. Right in the beginning, God's talking about those who will not hearken, who won't listen. Because he speaks to every one of us, but you still have to listen. You have to hearken. But listen to this. Proverbs 1 verse 27 through 33. He says, When your panic comes as a storm and desolation, and your calamity comes on as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then will they call upon me wisdom. But you know what? He said, This is horrible. I will not answer. They will seek me early and diligently, but they will not find me. You know why? Because they hated knowledge. And they did not choose the reverent and the worshipful fear of the Lord. They would accept none of my counsel. So you come to church to get the counsel of God. You read the Bible to get the counsel of God. But he's talking about, Solomon's talking about this incredible situation where God's counsel comes to you. And it comes again. And it comes again. I love the word prompt when you teach on the Holy Spirit. And being led by God's Spirit. I'm going to mention some of that before, but like I said, one of my favorite words that I see over and over, especially in the book of Romans, Paul says, being prompted, being prompted by the Holy Spirit. These prompts, when God keeps prompting you to do this or prompting you to release this, let this go, prompting you to stop this, and you keep turning a deaf ear, and you keep turning a deaf ear, you keep turning a deaf ear, you, keep turning to deaf ear. you You can put yourself in situations where God doesn't put you there, but we put ourselves in dangerous situations. But he said, because they would accept none of my counsel, verse 30, and they despised all my reproof, therefore shall they what? They shall eat the fruit of their own way. And they're going to have to be satiated with their own devices. For the backsliding of the simple shall slay them, and the careless ease, those two words, are something we need to be delivered of. (laughs) And the careless ease of self-confident fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkens to me wisdom shall dwell securely and in confident trust. And you know what? You'll be quiet. You'll be without fear or dread of evil. Hallelujah. As for me in my house, I choose to fear of the Lord. I'm one. God, Rod's getting better. All you have to do is talk to my wife and she'll tell you I have not arrived yet. Okay. Have I, darling? Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Oh, isn't she wonderful? No, but I have, you know, Rod knows, just like every one of you know, Rod knows the areas he falls short. And this is the thing. I don't actually need 14 major prophets to come and tell me, Thus saith the Lord, you need to fix this in your area. Listen, I don't need that because, quite frankly, I already got so. I already got such a list of the things I need to fix That I already know because, you know what, God's spirit lives in me. You know what I mean? And he's always going, eh, deal with this, Rod. Eh, Rod, how about, have you dealt with this? "Eh." no, you haven't, have you? I know, you can't lie. He keeps prompting. And the thing is, why? It's just like a father and a child, which it is. It's a father. He's not trying to quench your fun. He's trying to help you prepare the way for greatness. He's trying to get you to yield. That's another huge word in scripture. Yield. You have to yield up. You have to here I am. You have to yield your members now as servants to what has right standing with God, as opposed to yielding all the time to stuff that you know is only going to hurt you. Hallelujah. Proverbs ten twenty-seven says the reverent and the worshipful fear of the Lord prolongs one's days. That's that's a good promise, right? Say yes, Ron. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Appreciate that, Beck. Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. I'm just going to move through these quickly. In the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children shall always have a place of refuge. And again, like you've heard me say many times, your decisions today affect your children tomorrow. Amen? That's what Scripture teaches. Your decisions today. Deuteronomy 30:19, Your decisions today affect your children tomorrow. That thou make choose wisely, choose life, so that thou and thy children might live. What I choose affects my lineage. My choices make a, make a determination as far as what's going to happen down the line. You know, I'm I'm really blessed about it. when I think about it, like Julie and Julie and I coming together, my daughter Anna. Her son, Jamie, you know, they're both our kids now, but to watch what God's done in both of their lives, both of our children, how they love God. And, um, you know, Kelsey is super, our granddaughter, Kelsey, is incredibly excited right now. She just got accepted to Bethel. And so she's blown away, you know, so she made me 14 texts to Julie, just in her, Papa, Granny, Papa, Granny. She, and she's all jazz, and so she'll be moving in there and, in August, moving up to Ready, and, and just, you know, it's so awesome, you know, that you begin to see the effect of your reverencing God. And you don't take it lightly that, you know, my grandchildren are changed by the way my wife and I live. Hallelujah. And some of you don't have children yet. Some of you do. Some of you are hoping for children. All I know is the more we actually understand this, you've got to understand it affects every area of not only your life, but those who are going to come after you. You've got to catch that. Proverbs 14 26 and 27, in the reverent and the worshipful fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence, and his children shall always have a place of refuge. Reverent, verse 27, reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Does that sound like good stuff? Avoid the snares of death. (laughs) Please, please, especially in this side, just <laughs> zap them. Uh, what about this one? Think about, think of how can the psalmist? Well, this, I'm sorry. This is Solomon in this case. How can he dare to write these words in Proverbs 19:23? I mean, is Proverbs 19:23 a mistake? Proverbs 19:23. Look what it says: the reverent. The worshipful fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. You see this last phrase? What's it say? He cannot, say it with me, he cannot be visited with actual evil. Now, is that in the Bible? Is that a mistake? Seriously. Seriously. You've got to look at when you see words like this. Don't You, you can't just, mm, okay, well, whatever, that sounds great, but, I mean, it ain't never going to happen. Sodom at that time, remember, considered the wisest man on the earth. Jesus Christ said he was the wisest man that ever walked the world, earth. The, worship, the reverent worshipful fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. He cannot be visited with actual evil. You know, I can't explain that perfectly, but I can read. And whether I can explain it or not, I've learned this about God, that God is smarter, a little bit smarter than me. Right? Right? Possibly. How many of you think God's smarter than Rod? Thank you for putting up both hands, Angela. I appreciate it. But all I need to know is this. If God says he cannot be visited with actual evil, there's something about the fear of the Lord that Rod needs a whole lot more understanding of. Now listen, there's other scriptures in the New Testament, you know, about the love of God. When I teach the love of God, it says that, you, that there's a place where you can begin to walk where there's absolutely no occasion of stumbling. No occasion of stumbling because you, can see you, you bed yourself into the word, into the love of God. Proverbs 22, verses 4 and 5. The reward of humility and the reverent, worshipful, fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the obstinate, and willful. But he who guards himself will be far from them. Hallelujah. But the reward of humility and the reverent, worshipful, fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, like I said, in Proverbs, we could again i could read all i could just read scripture for I, without exaggeration i could read scripture for at least 3 or 4 hours just reading the verses that have inside it this thing about the fear of the lord the fear of the lord what the fear of the lord produces but let's just remember as i move forward just even jesus remember when he came what was upon him in isaiah 11 verse 2 and 4 We know this passage, Isaiah 11, verses 2, 3, and 4. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. And then it says the spirit of knowledge and of the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And shall make him this, it shall make him of quick understanding. This is kind of a mind-blowing thing. It it will make him of understanding. Quick understanding. See, some people think Jesus was just plopped in the air. Boom. And, uh, and instantaneously, Jesus had all wisdom and had all knowledge because he was Jesus. Boom. He just had it all from birth. But that's not what it says. It says it made him a quick understanding. His delight should be in the reverential and obedient for the Lord. If you don't believe it, turn to Hebrews 5 real quick. And, you know, there's some it's incredible verses in the Bible. The Bible is a pretty interesting book. Again, I'm overawed by your excitement this morning. Gosh. And even in South Africa, they say amen once in a while, don't they? Everyone say amen for me. Thank you. I appreciate it. But familiar verses. Listen, Hebrews 5. Speaking of Jesus, you know, the rank of Melchizedek. Verse 7. Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh. Right? Jesus. In the days of his flesh when he walked this earth. Jesus offered up definite special petitions. for That which he not only wanted but needed. And supplications with strong crying and tears. To him who was always able to save him out from death and look at, but the last half of this verse, look at it. And see we just think because he was Jesus he was heard because he was Jesus, he was all God. but look what a, And he was heard. See we need to understand why a lot of us don't get answers to our prayers. There's very little fear of the Lord, possibly. at least that's one place to check. but it says Jesus himself, he was heard because of his reverence towards God. His godly fear, his piety, in that he shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the Father. Hallelujah. He was heard because of his fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord was upon him. The next verse says in verse 8, put up verse 8. Because you know it's mind-blowing to me, and I'm not teaching all this around, but verse eight says, "Although he was a son, he learned. Everybody stop right there and just say this with me. He learned." Now, think about what you just said. Well Jesus already knew everything. If you know everything, how can you learn? We have see we 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 don't have any idea. There's a process that all man, all 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 of us, all mankind has to go through. For Jesus to be the perfect man on the earth, remember he had to walk only with what man could have. Remember, the scripture says clearly he had set aside all of his Godhead powers. Did you hear me? It says he set aside He had set aside all of his Godhead powers, and he walked this earth as a man. He didn't walk this earth as God until he was filled and overflowed with the Holy Ghost. But then he walked this earth as, again, man, a man still, but a man fully baptized, yielded to the Holy Ghost. Amen? Please say amen. It's the truth, whether you like it or not. But think about that. It says, although he was a son, he learned. Active, special obedience through what he suffered. The things that he went through. Hallelujah. Well, verse 9 says, And his completed experience, making him perfectly equipped, he became the author and the source of eternal salvation to all those who heed and obey him. Hallelujah. He became something great isn't big enough to say. He became the great deliverer that he became. Because he learned what he needed to learn, and because and he, and he was heard by heaven, it just flat out says, he was heard he was heard by heaven because of his fear of the Lord, his reverence for the things of God. And I love that statement. it says, "In that he shrank from the horrors of separation, from the bright presence of God." See, the thing is, I often put it this way, if any of us ever make a mistake and do something right, and we actually, we actually touch heaven, or maybe it's better to say heaven touches us, somehow, way, things click in the morning when you're in prayer. There's nothing else on to disturb you. Your ear, you really are inclining your ear to God you you desperately wanting to hear from God and somehow some way you do it right and God you begin to pick up the sense of God's you know again very 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 few people have ever heard the you know the the vocal voice of God. God speaks to us through his His spirit that's in our spirit. But we begin to hear. And once you follow into that situation, you begin to experience at least a measure of what Hebrews 5, 7 says, this bright glory. There's something that is so different it's so different from anything else that it, it, you know, it touches you. It's it's this thing about taste and see that the... I'm just trying to say you experience something. Whether anybody else in the room does or whether you're... If you're but you experience something and you know it's real. You know it's real. And it's like... say And once you taste that, you simply want more. Because... There's no room for even an iota of fear. There's no worry. I said there's no worry. There's absolutely no anxiety. There's just this incredible peace that passes understanding. It's way, it passed, it's gone. It's gone way beyond my ability to understand it. All I know that it is. It's a peace that's beyond my human understanding. You see, Jesus, because of the spirit of the fear of the Lord being upon him, he experienced this bright presence of the Lord. And there was this part in him that, again, we need to just, again, simply long for ourselves where I want that more and more and more in my life. I really do. And he got to that place where he experienced it so much, you know, that that's what he equated or that's what he learned. I simply need to obey these promptings. you got to hear me. He learned. Learning means he didn't have it all. Again, it's it actually... Sounds blasphemous to religious people to say that. They just think, he's Jesus, he's got everything. It's too much scripture that says otherwise. He had to strip himself of all Godhead powers, and he walked this world, remember, as a man, but a man filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is why, again, we should rejoice because you and I are men and women who can be filled and should be filled with the same Holy Ghost. There aren't two different Holy Ghosts. Which means we have the ability to hear what he hears. But the thing is, we need to make the choices that he made. Everything comes down to personal choice. What you choose to revel in. What you choose for enjoyment. What you choose for entertainment. What you choose for wisdom. What you choose about life. Like it says all these, you know, a ton of other scriptures. it It's what will cause you to enter into more greatness about your life hallelujah amen a turn to proverbs 4 very familiar verse but i want us to look at it afresh here if i can find it should be able to find proverbs proverbs 4 the We all know this I mean you know you could read all the first eight, ten chapters of Proverbs about the fear of the Lord, because it's everywhere in here. But the most familiar ones and the ones I wanted to get to down here in verse 20, Proverbs 420, you know, these last few verses. But verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words. Right? We all know the verse? Nod your head. Show me how spiritual you are. We all know the verse. My son, attend unto my words. And submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them around you. And and this is again one of the big parts. Keep them in every little word. We need the word "keep" speaks of a castle, a fortress. It means to guard, to protect. But it says to, it says keep them in the center of your heart we sang a few songs this morning and talked about our heart. And sometimes, again, we say that so glibly, so easily. But he said, keep these truths in the center of your heart. Why? For they are life to all those who find them. And it even, this is a pretty good promise, and healing and health to all their flesh. But verse 23, keep Again, and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. Now, let catch that. Above anything else, I said above anything else. Not your car, not your bank account. (laughs) Above anything else, he says, guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard because of something. Because out of it flows something. Something flows from your heart. And he said out of your heart flow the issues of life. And really in the Hebrew it says life issues forth from what's in your heart. What you have in your heart in abundance is what issues forth and takes upon itself flesh. So you have to guard. It says you. You have to guard what comes into your heart. I said, you have to guard what comes into your heart. This is why, boy, it's a struggle for all of us at times. People, how many of you know people that are people? That's a deep revelation right there, right? People offend us at times. People let us down. I got a real wake-up call for you. You offend people at times. And you let people down at times. But the point is, you You have to guard your heart from taking any offense. We've heard that for years, but we have to again, fear the Lord. I have to, Rod has to guard his heart. Julie has to guard her heart a lot because she lives with Rod. right, baby? No it's true she does. But you have to guard your heart. even your best friend sometimes. They, they don't, and you know that you know that you know that they don't mean to, but they can go a step too far. Just sometimes you just say something and, <laughs> 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 you know, you know what I mean? And you laugh, you know what I mean? And because you're your friend, they're your buddy. But, oh, man, that hurt. Something in there, it just, that hurt. Ugh, I like. And you laugh and you go, but you go home and it bugs you because something just got in your heart. And see, you've got to learn how to. Get that out of there, so quick! You have to, you have to guard your heart above all that you guard, because what gets in there will issue forth. It will, like, it's like. Forgive me for using a horrible word. It'll, it'll end up being like, if it's bad, it'll become like pus. It has to, it has to and you gotta get it out of you for healing to come. You gotta get it out. And again, to reverence God means you don't get mad at the person who hurts you. You roll it on God and you dismiss it because you're not going to be that dumb either. I'm not going to hold resentment, ill will, unforgiveness. I'm not going to let that come in my heart. I'm going to reference God. God so loved me in the midst of all of my insanity, knowing every stupid thing about me, yet he doesn't just love me. He loves me you know, with this passion this passion that's so strong that it's intended to burn out of you. All fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So, guys, old truth, you've heard it maybe a thousand times, but when it comes to the things of God and the fear of the Lord and reverencing God, please come back to this simple truth: I can't guard your heart. God doesn't even guard your heart. You have to guard your heart from taking offense you know, when I teach the love walk, we go through all kinds of stories of people who just, I mean, they are determined to hold a grudge. There are people that are determined. And like I said, often because of legitimate pain that came to them, that was inflicted upon them by other people. Legitimate hurt. And you see, the people think that you're trying to, when you try to tell them to let go of those things, they think that you're trying to diminish the level of pain. That you actually felt. And nobody's trying to diminish whether or not that actually happened to you. But what we're trying to do is diminish and actually destroy that ever having any future effect on you. All I know is what it says. You have to guard your heart above all that you guard. You really do. You really do. Trust me. So the heart is this incredible thing. You know, and uh, I'm going to read. I just, gosh, turn to Hebrews 3. Uh, Hallelujah. And I'll try to go a little quicker here because like I said, we had a lot on this morning. It's it's already after 2. Hallelujah. Casey is trying not to faint. The hardened heart. This is the issue. What happens when we take offense? We all know this, but again, see... To reverence God means you you, know, you it's, it like I said it means coming to church because you wanna you actually wanna quit looking around at whether or not somebody's singing in tune and you simply want to sing to God things like that or I'm I'm this is my moment I don't care I'm actually not gonna look at the overhead at least I know this one line <laughs> I'm gonna close my eyes I'm actually I want to give this I actually want to give this to God I, I want to do more than sing I want to God, I want to actually say thank you. I I actually, I actually, I don't know how to love you right, but I'm trying to say I love you. I I need you. I love you. Right? But anyhow, you hear stuff all the time, and you don't realize, but things happen over the years, and this is what we have to deal with. And, And like I said, nobody said it's easy, but nevertheless, we have to be incredibly careful that our hearts aren't, hardened in areas. Now, again, familiar verses, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 8, Hebrews 3, 8, the Amplified Bible. Again, this is talking about, you know, when Moses tried to get the people out of Israel. He says, Do not harden your hearts, as happened in the rebellion of Israel and their provocation and their embitterment of me in the day of testing. See, in the day of testing, you have a lot of opportunity to get bitter, and that damages your heart. And the word heart and spirit, the word heart and spirit really can be transposed very easily in the New Testament. When it speaks of your heart, it's speaking about your human spirit as well. It's not talking about your physical blood pump. It's talking about the real you, your spirit, who you are, your spirit being, who you really are, that part of you that's going to live for eternity, anyhow. But he said, again, do not harden your hearts as happened in the rebellion of Israel and their provocation and embitterment of me in the day of testing and wilderness, where your fathers tried my patience. They tested my forbearance. And you know what? They found I stood their test. And they saw my works for 40 years. Verse 10, and I was provoked. I was displeased. I was sorely grieved with that generation. And I said, they always err, and they're led astray in their hearts and they have not perceived or recognized my ways, and they've not become progressively better and more experimentally and intimately acquainted with them. Accordingly, in those days, I swore in my wrath and indignation, they shall not enter into my rest. Verse 12, therefore, now this is New Testament, Therefore, beware, brethren, take care, lest there be in any one of you a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to cleave, to to trust in, to rely on him, that it leads you to turn away, desert. But this is the part that always struck me, the three words that always, two words that always struck me when I used to read this verse. Don't let it lead you to turn away, desert, or stand aloof. From the living God. Can you imagine? You know what it means to stand aloof? You know, like some people that are sitting in church, sometimes they're just sitting there, but they're actually aloof. (laughs) They're already over here. They're already at Starbucks. They're already, you know, getting their sandwich. They're not focused. They're not in the here and the now and in the moment. But people, the spirit of God is warning here, and He says, don't find yourself just standing aloof from the living God. This is the living God we're dealing with. It's a fearful thing to be in the hands of the living God. This is the living God. Okay? We're not talking about just church. This the living God. Therefore, beware, brethren. Take care lest there be in any one of you a wicked and unbelieving heart which refuses to cleave to, to trust in, to rely on it. that would lead you to turn away and desert or stand aloof from the living God. But instead, and that's what we're trying to do here as a church and what we need, if you're really friends, if you have real close friends, all of you need to really take hold of this together. But instead, warn, admonish, urge, encourage one another once a month. (laughs) Courage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin, by the fraudulence, by the stratagem, the strategy, and this is what you've got to understand: we have a real devil that we're dealing with. And it says that you get you get you hardened into a place of settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin, by the fraudulence, by the stratagem, by the trickery which the delusive glamour of his sin may play on him. For we have become fellows. Don't you understand? He says, we've become fellows with Christ. It's like becoming a fellow of the Royal Academy of Medicine or a fellow of the Royal Academy of Music. It's an incredible honor. He said, we, all of us, because of the blood of Jesus, have become fellows with Christ. And we share in all he has for us. If only we will hold our first newborn confidence and original assured expectation, in virtue of which we are believers firm and unshaken to the end. Hallelujah. But verse 13 says we need to love one another enough to warn and admonish and encourage one another. If we see a friend slipping, if Angela keeps seeing Ayana, blow it. If Ayana starts to get a little too loose, not that you ever would, Ayana. Never in a billion years. Maybe I should turn around, Ayana. if you ever seen if you ever see Angela just starting to get, you know, she start she gets a little too wild. She starts asking the pastor to show the picture all the time, you know? And she starts, <clears throat> You know, you're supposed to say, Angela, I can let let's go get some coffee. Listen, babe, I love you with all my heart. But you know, you need to chill a little bit here. You, you just need to pull back a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Have you ever had a friend that did that for you? I did. <laughs> I had many friends. <laughs> Rod, you're really being a fool right now. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm making a joke. But to hear me, we, it's the thing is, everybody makes mistakes. But I love the fact it says admonish, encourage one another before you get into a place of settled rebellion, where you didn't just rebel, you're now in rebellion. You know what I mean? You've hardened your heart. You've quit listening to harden your heart simply means I'm not any longer feeling that prompting of God. And remember the whole thing about the best illustration I've ever used, and I think is still the best that you can ever give, is about a hardened heart. Remember, is it it speaks of a callous. And there's all these other verses. Let me just quote a couple of other verses real quick. In uh, Ephesians 4 19, Paul speaks of a people here. I'll read it from the amplified verse. It says, In their spiritual apathy. What's apathy? Anybody, you ever met anybody that's apathetic? I know you met a lot of people that are pathetic. But apathy just means, eh, aloof. No, that's no big deal. No, no, there's just no, there's no fire. It is what it is. There's no life. There's no, there's no unction. There's no, there's no wanting to do something, wanting to make it, no, no desire. It says in their spiritual apathy, they have become callous and past feeling. Remember that phrase? Past feeling and reckless have abandoned themselves as a prey to unbridled sensuality they're eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their depraved desires may suggest and demand and the king james it says who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness but it speaks about going past your feelings and then and the issue is this just real simple you're human but god's spirit lives in you if you're born again and he's faithful don't ever tell me he isn't he'll prompt you don't do this. He'll prompt you. This this is dangerous. I don't care how many people, it's like the old days of the drugs. Come on, Rod, try this stuff, try this dope. Come on, Rod. Try no, nah, I don't want to, nah, I don't, I don't even smoke, man. I never smoked in my life. Come on, Rod. Just try a little weed, you know, try a little weed. It started oh, so, you know, people used to laugh in those days in the 60s. They'd say, Well, you know, marijuana leads you into harder drugs. And I'm like, Give me a break. Marijuana doesn't lead you into harder drugs. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but the thing is, see, it was the attitude. Remember, I've sure shared that often, but it's, it's like marijuana is no big deal. It's no big deal. What are you, we're talking about pot. We're not talking about heroin or coke. Or it's just pot. Come on. And, and, but see, what when you give in to that counsel, it's no big deal. You're making such a big deal of this. You're making such a big deal of it. When you give in to that, see, what you don't understand is the very attitude of no big deal that leads you into other stuff that's much more worse, much, much worse. It's no big deal. So pretty soon, it's no big deal to put a needle in your arm. You think you know? I wasn't—I wasn't an idiot. I mean, I was college educated. I have some smarts about me. I wasn't a dummy. And if you would have told me when I was fifteen, sixteen years old that I would have started putting needles in my arm, that I would—I would have. It would—you know—it was. It would have been incomprehensible. Much less that I would wind up literally being addicted to heroin. You know, going through the the hell that I went through, going to prison, all this kind of stuff. You would have told me in that run. But but it all started. It all started just because I started listening to these guys. I got around the wrong people. And I know you say, "Uh, but this is why parents, parents, you do have to be real with your kids. And you got to be real with your friends. If, listen, if you don't have a friend that can tell you the truth. They're not your friend. That's just the way that is. Because otherwise, you can get to the place where you're past feeling. I don't feel that anymore. I used to, oh, man, I shouldn't have done this. Dang it, dang it, dang it. Smoked this weed. And yeah, I got high and all this stuff. But you went home the first time. At least I did, I went home. And, God, I just, I don't, you know, this is my mom, my dad, my family. Everybody in my family was so awesome. I don't want to, you know, this, this is, is it worth hurting my father? My mom, is it worth hurting my family? But, you know, you, you, you just talk yourself out of it. And pretty soon you get past where all of a sudden, I, it's not that I don't love mom, don't love dad, but something else I allowed into my heart began to gain traction in me until somehow, some way, I began to choose wrong. And I choose drugs and I choose disobedience. I chose hell over God. And over my parents. And I ate the fruit of my decisions, believe you me. First Timothy four, verses one and two said it this way Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, they'll give heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. In this phrase, having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. A conscience has been seared. Now, you all know what, you know what that picture is. It's like branding. It's where you've been burned with something to the point that on that part of your skin, you don't feel anymore. And see, it speaks of a whole manner of people, and Paul warns about it over and over again. There are people around you that are past feeling. There are people around you who have had their consciences, see, their ability to sense right and wrong has been seared as with a hot iron. They don't feel it. See, if you're not careful, if you hang around it too much, you'll quit feeling it. But this is why it says, but we're trying to say, but guys, don't do that. <laughs> I'm trying to say, fear the Lord. Listen to his voice. Follow these promptings of the Holy Spirit early, early, early. Don't ever let any little obedience to the things of God seem to you to be a little obedience. Every time you obey God, it releases more into your life. I don't care how small it is. Don't eat that second croissant, Charlotte. I'm saying that as a joke, Charlotte. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that to a lady. That's really bad. Forgive me. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Don't, Don't stop at that ice cream shop, Rod. I know God made that ice cream, but... Well, coconut ice cream, we love coconut ice cream. We love coconut ice cream. Coconut ice cream rocks. But, you know, when, we're in, when we go to, you know, to when we go to Cyprus, there's this one place that has this incredible, all this homemade ice cream, and they make this coconut ice cream. Honestly, just your tongue falls out and hits your shoe. It's just so good. So, you know, by accident on some days, you know, after we'd have a meal on one of these beach restaurants, by accident I'd drive seven miles. <laughs> oh, we're right by the ice cream place. We're just happy to be here. Let's get some more coconut ice cream. And of course, my wife said, Oh, no, darling. <laughs> yeah, okay, she would get a little one. I would get a. <laughs> I'd get an El Shaddai cup, you know what I mean? The, the cup that's more than enough, like God, you know what I mean? Anyhow. <laughs> Shoot. Conscience seared with a hot iron. So I'm going to finish with this just this whole thing. Um, just you know, this has to do with, of course, this verse. We all know Psalm fifty-one, ten, is when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. But nevertheless, it's this famous verse where David said, "Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me." And even as I was going over this again yesterday, I just you know, I just what I I love to meditate. I love to just I mean, I I just sit back in my little weird chair, and I sit there by myself, and I'll put my head up, and I just that's I just do what I'm doing. Right now. I sit, there, I just go, and when I when God just gives me even a verse that I've known for years, but I'll sit there and I'll just stop, and I try to say every individual word with precision. In other words, I don't want to just ramble something too quickly. Create. Really, oh God, create in me a clean heart. I want a clean, clean, I want a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. And so I just, as we close today, I just want you to, again, think on these things that we spoke about the last few weeks. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Have respect for the house of God. Have respect for time. Have respect for the worship team. Have respect for one another. But above all, have respect for the things of God. It's only going to do you good. It promises long life. It promises honor. It promises riches. Anything you need, the fear of the Lord promises. And so I find my prayer just being, Father, help me really understand that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. Help me be better. Help me reverence the small things, the little things. If I can get the little things right, everything else will come into focus. So, Father, I pray over our people, this family, my family, Help us, Father. We want, I know, these are good people. I mean good people, Father. Help us all to be better at preparing a way for you to come. To manifest yourself in our services. To manifest yourself in our children's lives. We want every one of our children serving you. Help us reverence your house. Respect what it stands for. Help church on Sunday not to just be another common thing we do on some weekends. Help us respect it for what it stands for. And Father, you told us above all. I pray for all of our people that in Jesus' name they will discover what it means to guard their hearts above all that they guard. I'm said, I said above all else, all else, more than money they may have in a safe or jewelry they may have in a drawer. I don't care what else it is that they may have value toward. But help them understand above anything we are to guard our hearts. Because out of our heart issues forth life. But death can come out of that too. So Father, I'm asking for you to do what David did. That's a prayer. We can pray it. Create in each and every one of us right now, this day, a brand new surface. A clean heart. We repent. Now, you need to do this yourselves. But in the name of Jesus, I'll just say it. Say this with me. Father, forgive me of all the places where I did not reverence you. This day, the 22nd of January, 2017, I'm asking you to create in me A clean heart. I receive a clean heart. In Jesus' name. And Father, renew a right spirit in me. Renew a right spirit in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.